intentional walk to Barry Bonds. Two and two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God. Deep to right field. Way Hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bases Loaded. Bases Loaded is a fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Tonight, I'm joined by Mike. You guys better know him as SP Streamer. You can follow him on Twitter at SP Streamer. And we have a guest host tonight. Very, very thankful to have you on. This is We have Paul Spore joining us at Fangraphs. You can follow him on Twitter at Spore. It's as easy as it sounds, S-P-O-R-E-R. Paul, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. God, it still feels weird to even say thank you for having me on. <laughs> to be completely honest, man. It's, um, this is just surreal still a little bit, but enough of the fanboy stuff. We, this is episode 59, and we're just going to talk a little bit of everything, man. We're going to talk uh, some sleepers. We're going to talk some draft strategy and just a little bit of how you got into the industry. But before we get into it, I want to plug the – you can plug a little bit about your work. I know we – I mean, I'm sure everyone knows that they don't know you write for fan graphs and all that. So if you want to tell these guys what else you do, because I know you're a busy man. So basically, um, I'm the editor of the Rotograph side of fan graphs, which is the fantasy side. And, um, you know, we're obviously staying busy this winter. The hot stove mm-hmm. is, is burning up and Thanks I'm loving every it. bit of it. It's <laughs> been fantastic. And we got some more big moves today. Uh, at least some impact moves. I think Dean Gorris is a pretty pretty sizable move. And then a little Zach Cozart trade and Kevin Gossman signing. So I just wrote about those factors uh, just happening. Gregorius going to Philly. That started to be rumored after they non-tendered Cesar Hernandez with the idea that Segura would move to second or Didi could be second too. Like they're kind of interchangeable, but uh, I think that's kind of an interesting move. Um, you know, he stays in a hitter friendly ballpark. It's kind of weird that he was so bad last year. Cause when you really look under the hood, there wasn't a whole lot. That's, that's all that different about, uh, about Didi Gregorius' season, except for one glaring factor, which he was terrible at home, which is the opposite of what he's been as a Yankee. He's been so good there that to put up a, like a 570 OPS was pretty surprising. But as far as like his exit velo actually went up, you know, the strikeout and walk were a little bit worse, but nothing to really suggest that he should have had an 84 WRC plus. So really just some bad luck at home in a small sample of 155 plate appearances. I think he's actually an interesting buy, and we're going to get into some sleepers later, but I'll already just tabbed Didi as somebody who's kind of interesting now to me, and I will be looking at him. Shortstop is so deep that I don't think that this move, now that he's solidified, is even going to raise his price that much. Um, he's going around 225 in the early NFBC drafts. He might bump up to like 200, but that's still the, the 21st, 22nd shortstop off the board. So Didi and Philly's pretty nice. The Cozart and Gosman moves for San Francisco are real deep league plays. Unless, until we know about Cozart's health, he's really a non-factor. There's not even a perfectly open spot for him with Mauricio Dubon at second, Brandon Crawford at short, and Emma Longoria at third. But if he's healthy, they'll find playing time for him. Kevin Gosman, turns out they are going to start him in the article. I was unsure. I, hadn't, I didn't have any confirmation on whether he'd start or relieve. I think maybe he should relieve, but I will say that anytime somebody goes to San Francisco – um, and their live arm, I'm pretty interested to some degree. And I've always actually liked Kevin Gossman a bit. So the fact that he is going to San Francisco makes me at least moderately interested in his home starts. See, the interesting thing about him is, I, I, you know, I did a quick little just digging into him because I was curious as to the move. And 
if you look, he pitched 102 innings last year, and he literally had career best plate discipline metrics from O swing all the way over to swing strike rate. And the only one that was technically a little less was, I forget which one indicator it was, but regardless, it was just career best across the board. His uh, strand rate was lower than it should have been. You know, it was like 61.2%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's going to be regression there. And like you said, the, the ballpark is way better. Two-pitch pitcher, unfortunately. But, I mean, he also, what Kapler isn't really, he's big into the analytics. Maybe they don't let him go three times through the lineup type of thing. So, yeah, maybe they make him like a Jay Cotarizzi where they really limit him to that two times through, mm-hmm. and that could bring Gossman into something more. Yeah, he, he certainly deserved better than his 619 fate <laughs> of an ERA with the Braves. Uh, you know, you look at the ERA or the FIP, um, it's 420, and FIP's not perfect. But when it's that big of a disparity, it pretty much tells you that the, the pitcher was throwing better than the results that he was getting. So it was pretty interesting. I, I use the word interesting for both Gregorius and Gosman, but, but they both are. And uh, Gosman is such an afterthought in drafts right now. And I don't think that this move is going to skyrocket his price to a level that would make him anywhere near cost prohibitive. He's at 483 right now. I mean, he could go up 120 picks and still be late enough that he's completely worth it. So if you like Gosman, take a shot on him in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm glad they uh, announced him as a starter because I kind of like him as a late flyer now. Um, but before we move on, Paul, I just want to ask you, where do you think – I know no one knows, but where do you think Hulk is going to go? Man, these Yankees these Yankees <laughs> things are really uh, yeah. flare up, which is they kind of – They sound very aggressive, yeah. I really want, <laughs> I really want the Angels to uh, back up the truck. I don't have any sort of affiliation with the Angels – I'm a Tigers fan, but I want Mike Trout in the playoffs desperately. And I think that that's a move that would really, really help that. Um, it wouldn't alone guarantee them anything. That said, the Cozart move frees up money and now frees up third base. So they could they could shift over to Rendon if the Cole thing doesn't work, like a, like a Rendon-Ryu situation. Yeah. I mean, look, I love Steven Strasburg. He's been awesome. But that deal was bananas. Yeah, and Cole's going to get a better one. And that's that's Insane. just too much for me. I, mean, <laughs> I would never, as a GM or, or owner, give seven years to a starter, which means I'd probably never get them, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'd be more the guy who would do like, you know, five years, 210 or something. I'll try to give you 42 mil a year. I'd rather do that than, than commit seven, eight, nine years but guys want years, and it makes sense. You want that stability over a long period of time. So it does look like it's the two L.A. teams and the Yankees right now. I know there were some rumors of a mystery team today. The Yankees haven't really put their uh, their cash on the table in an aggressive form in quite a while, and this is the this is the opportunity that they have. I think part of it's been that they just don't spend as aggressively with George having passed away and his, his son Hal in charge. But also part of it's been the fact that there hasn't been the guy out there that they want to go for. And so now that they have somebody to go for, I think they're going to push pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I mean, they took on that Stanton contract. So it's not like they weren't willing to pay players. It was exactly. Just, it's, yeah. So it's interesting. And you mentioned Cozart. And I just laughed a little bit when you mentioned it on my side, because I just drafted him in an NFBC league, like post four, round 40. And then the move happened. And I'm like, well, that's almost like, like you said, it's kind of like a meh point, but Last thing I want to touch on was just that DD that you mentioned that DD Gregorius, uh, the price of him. I, you're right. I just, I can't get over that. Like, I'm looking at my shortstop ranks. I just posted my top 30 for fan tracks over, um, over there. And I just have a hard time moving. I actually was, I thought I was somewhat aggressive on him having like 24th at the position. 
because that was without a, a home, but he it's hard to move him up. Like you said, that position is just so deep. It's it's it's, it's so 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 deep at shortstop. It's crazy to think that somebody like Gregorius, you know, he has that uh that April from a few years ago that really sticks out. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think what I what I put I put a comment at shortstop, I put him at twenty eight back on October seventh. And I said that you know, 270, 25, and 5 just doesn't go that far anymore. And it really doesn't. And there's some guys that certainly don't have the stability that he does of like a guaranteed role and all that with Gregorius, like a Garrett Hampson I have ahead of him, but the speed that he could offer uh, completely changes things. Somebody like a Kevin Newman is a power speed guy. You'd rather give away the 10 home run difference between those two for 10 to 12 more stolen bases, I think, with the difference between Newman and Gregorius. So it's just that he's kind of bland and um, Hey, makes for a nice little middle though. A lot of leagues use an MI and put DD Gregorius there. Yeah. You can do a heck of a lot worse. Especially when he, his bat starts to catch fire, which it tends mm-hmm. to do. Well, like, which, if I'm, he's healthy, he's going to be fine. I, I yeah. Again, I didn't see anything under the hood that suggested that he should be this uh, below average bat. Now I think last year was just kind of a lost season. It was a half season. Anytime you start cutting the playing time like that, volatility can wreak havoc, and that volatility at home really killed Gregorius this season. Yeah, he's definitely a guy. Like I actually jumped into my second NFBC draft because I'm a true degenerate. Love it. And, <laughs> and I'm in my second uh, draft champions, and I'm he. I mean, he's gonna. I'll, I'm curious. I might actually. I'm wondering where he's gonna go. I think a lot of these guys, like Gosman, like you said, they're probably gonna get boosted up these drafts a little bit. Sure. Now. It's going to be interesting to watch because, again, I just – I was – I almost got – I'm really considering the one that Vlad tweeted out to get in on that one too. But I, I want to save some of my money that I have I'll put away for fantasy mm-hmm. for the actual redraft season with some of my friends. But it's hard to – these, you know – Do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about – because I can't make the actual online in Vegas, the main event, I mean. But I was thinking about doing the online. With, it depends on how football works out. But that's a whole, that's another discussion. I'll let you know if that, how that goes. I say, yeah, I say go for it. If hopefully your things work out in football, um, I've done I've done online and I've done live. I've done two years live, or excuse me, two years online, two years live for my main event. I'm going to Vegas this year for the main event. I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. I hear with you know eight nine drafts going on at once that it's it's really exciting. So oh, definitely I hear it's amazing. I hear it's absolutely yeah. amazing. Twitter is a buzz. Last thing I want to ask you about before we honestly dig in, because I know, again, I said that before, but are you going to be going to First Pitch Florida? I don't know yet. Um, that, that's, <laughs> keep... that's kind of a TBD situation. I'll see what my labor plans are for one, because the drafts will be there. Mm-hmm. And so if there was a situation where maybe I moved into the AL or NL, of course, I'd have to be out there. But uh, we'll see. Uh, March is a remarkably busy month. So to have mm-hmm, something yeah, sure. in, Mar- uh, in uh, late February, right before that, it's tough. I mentioned I'm going to Vegas. There's mm-hmm. Tout Wars at New York. Um, <laughs> there's some other other stuff. Mike, I mean, Mike you're going to end up going and no one's going to be there. I know. That's the thing. That's the thing. I can't, it's hard for me to make it out to Arizona. I got three kids. I'm married. Mm-hmm. Vegas and Arizona aren't realistic for me. My kids are young and all that. So, But Florida, I live in Florida. I live about two well, I'll tell you what. The, the, the labor players are definitely going to be there, right? Yeah. So the, at the very worst – the people who are in labor are going to be there. I think it's going to be a well-traveled event still. There's going to be plenty mm-hmm. of people. Um, I'm eager to see how it goes. I'd love to go. 
it's just not a 100% locked in yet. Yeah, I got you. Well, I guess I'm going to, this is my first, I wanted to go to Arizona. It's really difficult for me to travel, but when they said they're putting one in Florida, I'm like, yes, please. My, wife already, my, my wife already gave me the blessing. I'm saving my, I'm saving some, <laughs> I put some money aside already. I'm ready to go. It's a two and a half hour drive. I have no excuse. Oh, I say, I say do it then. I mean, I, okay. I don't think you'll regret yeah, it. You got they it, put man. on a great event. Again, there's going to be plenty of great people from the industry oh, there. Sure. I say go for it. Oh no, it's not a question of it's not a question. I'm I'm going. I was just hoping that like I, I've asked you. I've, I think I've asked Alex. I, I asked both Alexes, Chamberlain and Fast. Uh, Chamberlain can't do it fast. I, don't, I think he's uncommitted as well at this point. Well, Chamberlain lives in, in Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. out yeah. there in paradise. It's a little far. <laughs> he's not trying to do anything. That's like he's Florida, just, leave right? me alone. I'm in paradise. <laughs> he's a good guy, man. They're just a bunch of good guys. It's just I guess like he was saying, like all you guys make it to Arizona, and I was like, I want to, I, I want to go bad, but. Uh, that's neither here nor there a little bit about um i'm genuinely curious we talked about a little bit just how how did you get started in all this man because it seems like you've really made a name for yourself and you're a truly respected analyst and people have nothing but good things to say about you maybe that's because they know you'll hear if you can find some people but, saying <laughs> bad things about me. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> oh, man you seem like a, i mean you seem like a nice guy all in all i've never had a bad, i've never had a bad interaction personally but but that said, like, just how did you get started? How long have you been doing this? A little bit of your background Boy, would be great. It's been, it's been a while. I'm, I'm an old oldie here. Uh, I might not look it as much, no. but I am. I'm indeed 38. So, um, you know, not, uh, not the oldest in the industry, but not the youngest by far. So I've been around on the internet for a while and basically got started really uh, caring about baseball in a big way on a message board called Roto Junkie. Uh, that's where I met Jason Collette, a bunch of other great people. A lot of great conversation there when message boards were really a big thing. And obviously, it's kind of expanded out uh, Twitter and different things now. Uh, Roto Junkie is still going on, but obviously not in its same peak form of the early 2000s. There's where um, there was a guy who posted his top 100 starting pitcher list, and I would kind of go through it and give my thoughts as far as like, I don't, you know, I would rate this guy here, I go with this guy mm -hmm. here. And then eventually I said, you know what? I'll do my own. I'll, I'll put my top 100 list there. So that's basically where what became my SP guide started, which was on a giant message board post. Been writing at a bunch of different sites for years, like just small little sites, some that don't even exist anymore, most that don't even exist anymore. Uh, you know, started my own blog. That's always tell people who want to write it. So you got to get your reps in, right? You're probably not going to yeah. wake up, you know, day one and start writing on, your, your favorite site of choice, fan graph, picture list, baseball prospectus, et cetera, et cetera. That's probably not how it's going to go because the first thing that's going to be asked of you when you apply somewhere is, you know, show me some samples. Mm -hmm. So get your reps wherever you can. I've got lots of reps at different places, including my own. So in my own blogs. And like I said, I cultivated something called the starting picture guide. And that's kind of where I got my first big imprint in the industry. Um, uh, ESPN's Matthew Barry used to retweet it, which was oh, great. Nice. Uh, one year randomly uh, on the podcast, Bill Simmons meant, called it out. He was talking to uh, a baseball writer that he had on, and he's like, have you ever read this crazy guide that this dude does where he writes about every single pitcher in detail? Because this thing used to be like 100,000 words I'd write by oh, myself until wow. I had uh, Doug Thorburn in for a few years toward the end there. So that was cool. And, and those two things like really helped. And so that was kind of a jump off or to BP for a bit, then jumped over to a lot of freelance work before I finally settled at Fangraphs as a full-time role. So it's, it's been a while. It's been a long, slow burn. It was not always full-time baseball forever. 
But uh, after getting laid off for the second time at Dell, that where they sent my job uh, elsewhere, I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And, uh, and it's happened to work. It's been great. Awesome. So I write podcast uh, every, you know, four or five days a week. And then I also stream on Twitch um, five, six days a week. So that's, yeah, uh, for those that's what know, I do. For those who don't know about the Twitch, go ahead and plug that real quick. Let them know where they can find you and all that, man. Twitch.tv slash sport. It's another baseball outlet, whether you play MLB the show or not. If you like baseball, I feel like you'll enjoy it. We have plenty of people who don't even have a PlayStation 4. They don't play the game at all. They don't play video games. They come to talk baseball and hang out, which is the reason I started streaming was because just another avenue to be able to uh, to be able to talk about baseball. And so, yeah, I do that evenings and into the into the wee hours. I am a, a night owl, so we, you know we we'll <laughs> start like tonight. Uh, we'll be starting right after the podcast here that we're recording. But I usually start in the seven to nine o'clock central range, and then go till two, three in the morning. Sometimes wow. four or five in the morning, depending on what's what. And so uh, it, it's a lot of fun and it just keeps baseball going year round all the time. And obviously now with a, an active hot stove, it's, uh, it's given us plenty to talk about. Thankfully. <laughs> I was it, uh, was, was it pretty big that uh, they MLB the show like announced that they're going cross platform and everything? It's, it's huge, right? So for folks that don't know, it's, uh, it's been a PlayStation game only forever because it's made by a Sony uh, Sony's driven studio, Sony San Diego studios. And so it's never been on any other platform. And then yesterday they announced they're going to be going multi-plat in 2021. That's big. Anything to grow the community. It's an amazing community on Twitch and YouTube. Um, the content creators in the MLB community are awesome. A lot of great folks. And so just bringing in a whole another group of people on different consoles cannot be bad. So I'm really excited by that yeah, i'm surprised it took them that long actually because why imagine, wouldn't you you know what i mean, well, I mean. <laughs> you know i don't know right there haven't been that many console exclusive games but for what you know it's made by sony and they didn't want to figure out a deal with nintendo and xbox i don't i don't know if mlb stepped in and said okay listen yeah. we'll front the money let's get this done or if xbox said we need to get in on this because we don't have baseball right now outside of rbi which it just didn't really take off like yeah there were some okay factors in rbi but it just didn't really hold up to mlb so this is great news and i'm really excited about it as an avid mlb-er nice now maybe they'll let you simulate through what could be a strike shortened season next year oh god <laughs> Do not <laughs> don't even say that. Like on Twitch if that happens though, because uh, I mean that is truly a bit nerve wracking as somebody who writes about baseball and talks about baseball for a living. You know, I don't think that fan graphs would shut down, but you know, at some point they'd probably have to be like, Well, people are tired of reading about when the strike may end, so you have to cut back on staff and, and there would be no fantasy to play, so I don't know what the heck I would do as far as writing and, and podcasting. I would definitely dive into Twitch on more of a full-time basis, but uh, hmm. yeah, they better fix some things though, because you're <laughs> yeah. not wrong about it being a, a strong potential. I did hear, I think it was Bubba that uh, threw it out there that it sounds like they're going to be working towards a solution sooner than later. Like might they be absolutely together. should be. So. Yeah. I, I I think they will, you know, and again, this, we keep talking about how this hot stove is moving in the right direction. I think that, you know, some have speculated, maybe it's just pandering to say, Hey, we aren't, we aren't having labor strife. 
I'm not sure it's that. I think there is some of like, hey, you know, they're seeing that they're going to pay this talent here. Something needs to be worked out, right? Because the, the owners, it's not actually really dumb that they don't want to pay guys in their late 20s into their 30s. Like that's okay, but then pay them when they're actually performing at a high level. Right? right, you can't have it both ways, and right now they're kind of getting it both ways, where they're non-tendering guys who are set to be "quote unquote" overpaid, and they're not wanting to give uh, the the contracts of yesteryear in for guys in their 30s. But then they also get away with paying rookies 500,000, and so something has to change. Some things have to change, and uh, hopefully they are able to get it worked out because I don't think that they're coming back. Like they might go to hockey status if they have another work stoppage. Hockey is a thing, but it's certainly not it's certainly not on a par with with all the other major sports. No, not even close, really. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's it's I'm trying to make a case for yeah, I can't. Um, no, no. Far, yeah, let's let's move on from the doom and gloom and kind of because <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have even brought that up. I couldn't help it. It's just it, it really is on my I think it's on everyone's mind just about every day, but I honestly sure. didn't think about the fact that how much it could impact somebody that does this full time like you, like the guys that over at the athletic, like like a bunch of industry people. Like that honestly didn't cross my mind. Like you said, it probably won't shut things down, but it'll definitely definitely obviously I can understand your concern behind it. But well we circle back around here. You was talking about, you know, the whole thing that kind of broke him out was his um the pitcher stuff and just in general we get a lot of questions. I'm sure it's daily for all of us, but just in overall preferences when addressing speed and pitching this year, it seems like to be like, it seems to be a common hot topic discussion. Like what for is sure. your, what is your personal way of going about it? At least in this, this season or I'm not, I'm not going to overdo it on the speed component. Like I'm going to be interested in guys who, who have speed, but they do other things. I've never really been somebody who drafts the rabbit, the Malik Smith, the Billy Hamilton. That's not really my style of player power speed combos definitely appeal to me and I'll be in on plenty of those throughout the draft. Um, obviously with speed being down, you need less to compete, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to overstock yeah. on it. It's like sometimes people get these, these uh, notions wrong, you know, when they're saying power, well, I can wait on power. No, you can't with, with this much power in the game, you need more to compete with less speed in the game. You need less to compete so you can move, uh, you, you know, you can get your knickknack 10 to 15s from a several different guys. And all of a sudden you've got your 90 to 110 steals and you're fine. So that's kind of how I'm going to approach that. Probably the biggest flawed speed asset that I'm interested in drafting. Cause I don't like, I understand the flaws of his 2019, but I like Victor Robles a lot. And I think that there is more to his game. I think he can develop a bit. He certainly has some ugly metrics in his stat cast and everything but one thing we need to remember is that your stat cast i mean it's malleable it's not just who you are forever so i think there is some development there that i like him as far as pitching goes i'm not afraid of aces i'm not afraid to draft i I don't have a set rule of getting x amount of them and you know i think the fantasy ace thing there's always discussion of like what's an ace there are not 30 aces in the league just because you're the number one pitcher on a team you're not an ace for me, at least that's how I am with the definition of it. There's probably like seven true aces in the game or whatever. But there's like 15 or maybe even upwards of 20 who can front a fantasy rotation. So there's more fantasy aces. I do want to get in on that. Um, I don't necessarily need two of them or three of them. 
if I could get one, I feel pretty good about that. But living in the middle seems like a good idea. That I term I call it the glob, where talent really starts to starts to cluster up, and you can't really tell me a difference between, you know, twenty three and thirty eight. Even though that feels like such a huge gap, when you really think about those pitchers, they're not that different. Um, and then there's another glob where it's like fifty to eighty five. You know, it goes even deeper than that. And so you had to pick. You know, you have to sometimes, – sometimes you can let it come to you. I tend to be more aggressive in the globs and say, okay, well, I, I see the growth here, here, and here. I'm going to attack it that way. Others are say, I'll, I'll take what y'all give me uh, because of that talent glob. You can kind of go either way. But living in the middle of the, of the pitcher pool I think is the right way to do it. You're not caught overpaying. And um, if you're stabilizing with an ace up front, and then working the uh, the middle, I think that's the way to go. And then your dollar gambles late, your your one to three dollar gambles late, uh, spike a few of those, and then work the waiver wire. Of course, I think I agree with that for the most part. I'm similar. I like to get at least one anchor, so to speak, of an of, mm-hmm. a, of a pitcher. I've been doing a lot of like skipping on that top tier, even part of the second tier, and getting just two to three of my top twenty five. So that's that works. Been, that's been what I've been doing. I liked my first team when I did that. It left me a little shallow in the power department of all, of, of course, of all uh, things. I'm struggling in power in my first NFC league. But the second league, I ended up with a Snell-Nola combo. And I, and I love pretty, that. Uh, I do too. I, through, and, I really yeah, love Snell. That's amazing. Oh, see, I'm huge on Snell. Is, yeah. I, I His Snell, ADP is too low for me. I have Snell seventh, I think, in my ranks right now still. Rest assured that in – in NFBC leagues, It'll rise. It will de- first off pitching rises in general. That's the, yeah. that's the trend of yeah. NFBC. Is that uh, and I think we're starting to see it more in uh, across all leagues. But as we get as we get closer into draft season, as we get into March, pitching rises. And for example, like right now, Snell is tenth yeah, off the board cool. among pitchers at pitcher thir- at pick thirty seven. Take that all winter and enjoy that. He'll be <laughs> six or seven as a top. 25 pick once he goes out on the mound in spring training and looks good like that yeah. people just need to see that and then they'll be reassured i mean he finished in, he finished the season on the mound which is what you want from an injured guy to feel good about him so yeah i love snow he's great yeah and just seeing that he's going after flaherty too at least in my mind i'm just like how are people undervaluing this guy right now i mean Going, going yeah and i mean go <laughs> going 10 like we were just talking about i'm just like that's he's got to be higher than that i agree i think Flaherty's Flaherty's the second half overpay there seems yeah. to be one every year um marquez last year was the easy one to identify because right. of course he had cores and cores is undefeated uh, Flaherty doesn't have that but i'm not taking him as the seventh pitcher off the board it was an amazing second half, but I mean, he was 440, like a 442 or I think 424 or 442. There's two fours and a two in his ERA, I think, in the first <laughs> half for Flaherty. And the bottom line is, you know, he was incredible in the second half, but that's not who he is now. I mean, just because and a .91 ERA in the second half, and we anchor on that second half with guys yeah. too often, no chance on paying that. He's an easy fade at that price yeah and alex fast pointed you know said almost the best thing last time on on our pod last week um he's like you got to look at someone's season as a whole you can't just exactly look at one half and be obsessed with that one half and draft the guy on that one half you gotta look at the entirety of the season 
exactly with that, and, with that and it was a 464 era just in the interest of of correcting it it was four so from 464 to 091 for uh for jack flaherty now he was neither that bad in the first half nor is he that good in the second half but put something in the middle on it and he's like i don't know a 350 picture which is right. good which not is the seventh right. guy though I was going to say, I think he will be unanimously in the top 15, but he's going 10 picks on like 10 places too high on average as far as ranking. Mm-hmm. He's, going, he's going like the seventh, sixth pitcher off the board. Sometimes the four people get cute and put him like that fifth ish pitcher. I'm like, come on. Oh my goodness. Oh, Have man. fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm good. And people like will fight. Like this guy's been Mike over here, the other Mike. He's been really like, <laughs> an, not anti flarity, but trying to make people realize, hey, you know, he's, he's beating that drum like everyone else is. But, it's weird because when the industry as a whole gets together and agrees on a player, you should th- you would think most people would most people just in general fans would honestly get on board, but yeah. I've seen so much resistance from the general fan on Flaherty not being this fantasy ace next year. I think it's hard because of just how good he was in the second half. Like, and it's not that he's bad; it's really not that he's not bad at all. But he's a two pitch guy, and you saw his best baseball for a half for fifteen starts in the second half, and it's just like. I'm I'm not paying on the historical second half. I didn't with Arietta back when he did. He was older, but I didn't with the uh, Marquez one again. Coors Field that one was an easy layoff. I'm just not paying for the best pitcher of the second half when that's their standout best work ever. And especially because where he is, you're basically drafting him at his complete upside. Like there's mm-hmm. no room for value there. No, he well, can't he really peel to... back. He right. he almost has to put up another two exactly that cost or at least dang close to it for 190 plus innings with a uh, a ton of strikeouts which he's go he's going to get a ton of strikeouts but the the ratios i don't know that they're going to be that sharp going back to your glob and it'll kind of transition right into sleepers in general out of your glob like and let, let me actually for me and i think we all agree as far as what we consider a sleeper a sleeper for at least me and, and in all intents and purposes, I would say is somebody being drafted outside the top 150 in ADP and yeah. has the chance to vastly outproduce that. So with that said, I think that's, I think all of our players kind of hit that. If I, if we, I think we talked about that a little bit off air. So what player outside the top 150 is in that glob of yours that you are just higher on than most that you, or that you just see taking that big next step? Well, I'm buying right back into Joe Musgrove. Um, I was a big fan last year and it didn't quite come together, but there were flashes of exactly what I was thinking about with him. I'm also willing to buy back in because there's going to be a new regime in Pittsburgh. Uh, the race here situation got stale there. They're, they're kind of like, uh, two seam sinker love, I think has fallen out of vogue and and not really worked for some guys. There is an arsenal there that uh, that can make Joe Musgrove really good. He had a brutal May and August; those two months really held him back. But he was pretty brilliant the other four months of the season. And of course, you can't just take out months and say they don't count. But for me, when a guy is at a particular level, uh, you know, something in like the uh, uh, 444 ERA era, which is where, where uh, Musgrove is. I like that the composition of it is four great months and two off months, as opposed to like six bland months of, you know, baseline quality starts with just six innings, three runs would be a 450. So um, the fact that he's shown the flashes of upside that, uh, that are really sharp for extended periods, leave me hopeful on Musgrove. So I'm buying right back in after last year, despite the fact that uh, he was a bit worse 
uh, albeit for more innings, jumping from 115 to 170. So workload shouldn't be a problem, and I think the talent can jump another level. And he was a, he was one of those victims of a bad strand rate. I mean, 63.2% last year, taking a quick look at it. And I'm surprised when you look at some of his metrics, like the O-swing and the swing strike rate, both of which are above average. The fact that he has a K rate under, under 1K per inning is actually really surprising because he's, he's above average in both of those metrics. And I, and I think part of that goes back to their uh, their strategies in Pittsburgh that have him using maybe more sinkers and two seamers than than he needs to really. Not that the fastball is great, but I think it, his fastball allotment insofar as it, it as it goes, and maybe I would take him down from that fifty percent maybe into a forty to forty five percent and dive more into his secondary arsenal. But I think Musgrove really has the depth of arsenal to be somebody who can have a strikeout per inning. Uh, already has strong whips by the way 118 and 122 the last two years those are good and then uh and then pair it with like a mid threes or better era i just wonder if he would be one of those that benefits from a few more balls you know a few more pitches outside the zone sure yeah and not not uh, finding yourself so hittable in the zone um it's something that that I needed to wait and see on on somebody like a shane bieber Mm -hmm. um i call it uh pineda-itis you know, Samarjaitis, both those guys uh, have had it. And so I, I want to see them, you know, it's okay to give, to not give in on 3-0 and 3-1 and walk a guy and kind of re-rack with the next one. It's good to have a, a low walk rate. It really is, but not to the detriment of yourself to where you're giving up a lot of hits instead of the walks. Because at that point, then what's the point? I honestly wasn't really into Musgrove. And then I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think you're rattling off some sleepers and you mentioned him. So I started looking into him and I didn't realize how good his slider was. I mean, it's, it's really sharp. It's, it's really good. And just um, taking a glance at, it, I mean, he had like a 40% K rate and the swing strike was almost 20%. And he wasn't letting up a lot of hits. I know he had a low X world on it too. And I was just like, I didn't realize how good his slider was to be honest with you. So I started kind of like turning on him and liking him a little bit more. He's got a decent changeup too. That's what I'm saying. The foundation is all there. Yeah. Uh, there, there really is the jump off. He's going after pick 200. I think Joe Musgrove somebody you definitely want to take a shot on next year. Yeah, I was just looking at his velo and stuff, and it's weird. It started off lower than last, in the last few years, but then it kind of made its way up throughout the season. Oh, just a little weird thing I noticed. Uh, Mike, what about you, man? What's one of your first sleepers you got? Uh, well, I'll stick with the uh, Pirates and I'll go with Mitch <laughs> Keller. Um, <laughs> no, I just like him. You can't look at his ERA, which was seven. Um, no. It came with a, you know, a, a 3 That's 1 it? FIP. And <laughs> Only seven? <laughs> it also came with a 475 BABIP and a, you know, a really low left on, uh, left on base percentage. Um, but I mean, he's great. He's young. They got the new regime there, like Paul said. And speaking of sliders, his slider was just so good. I mean, it has swing strikes percentage of 26, which is up there. And uh, I think he's got all the makings to make the step forward. And he is just going – I don't have his ADP in front of me, but he's going really late right now. It was bizarre how – ton of value. How bipolar Keller was last year. By the way, he's going around pick 227, yeah. 88th pitcher off the board. That includes right. uh, relievers. But, yeah, I mean, you just don't see this kind of split in 11 starts where five of them are five earned runs or more, including an eight spot. And then the others are all um, – the other six are all zero to two earned runs, right? So he was either completely on or com- 
completely off, nothing in between. He did get 65 strikeouts in the 48 innings. I put no stock into the 713 ERA. I'm in on Keller too. Boy, Nick Pollock really turned me on to him. That's one of his big guys as well. So you're in good company there. And Mitch Keller's definitely somebody to uh, to invest in you, for 2020. Do you think that's just experience that he was so volatile oh, like that? or? Uh, yeah, with Keller, the, the volatility there, uh, I mean, we talk about the volatility of small samples, 48 innings. That's a great example of just how crazy volatility can work for you from game to game. I don't even know that it's necessarily experience or, or what he was doing wrong in those. Some of them, he probably just didn't have his stuff. Others, bad luck might have just worked against him. It's 48 innings. But we also saw flashes of dominance for Keller. I think he's definitely somebody to invest in. He's not going to have a 475 BABIP next year and a 60% left on base rate. There's no way he doesn't get better. And even a 420-125 ERA whip combo with a bunch of strikeouts would be – usable at that price right yeah well i'm gonna stick with the pitchers here and i'm in on luke weaver this year and he has an adp of 181.6 in these early uh nfbc dra- uh, draft champions league so he's a guy that people just i guess are not so high on i don't know man i liked it i liked what we saw we kind of it was like a year late on what we expected you know we all drafted him in 2018 Hoping for what he showed up in 2019 doing. See, you guys should you guys should have read me. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the clown who brags about his past calls. Did not like <laughs> Weaver in, in 2018. I thought that that was one of those guys with, whose small sample was being overpaid for because there was really no basis for his 29% strikeout rate uh, in 2017. So he has the flop year, and he was worse probably than he should have been. Uh, I did not factor him for like a five ERA. But then he goes to the Diamondbacks in that trade and becomes a complete afterthought. I, com- I came all the way back around oh, and bought man. in. Loved buying him last year after pick 300. And he was headed for such a great breakout until the, uh, the forum issue. He should be all right. Um, you know, again, I like seeing an injured guy who finishes the season on the mound, uh, even though it was literally two innings. At least we saw him out there, and we'll know more about him in the spring. I um, mean, you know, Luke Weaver, that's a good call out. So you both like him. My only question is, do you does his fastball worry you a little bit? Because he was laying a lot of hard contact off his fastball. Was he just – I don't know if he was just locating it not well or – I mean, there's – first off, fastballs, they can be pretty volatile as well. And But guys can succeed with bad fastball, with outright bad fastballs if their secondary stuff picks up enough of the slack. I don't know that Weavers necessarily has to be, though. He's been at 94 now the last two years. Um, There's definitely something where refining his command and throwing better strikes and even better balls that – or, you know, better pitches out of the zone that he can turn into strikes can turn that. But I liked seeing the the development of the cutter. And, of course, the changeup remained really strong. And so – Maybe even using the fastball less is a remedy. Uh, he already dipped down from 58 to 52 last year on the fastball. And if Luke Weaver goes down even further, say 47, 46%, maybe that's the way to do it. Less is more with fastball. That's obviously a huge trend that we've seen across the league. And maybe Weaver needs to follow suit on that. People are questioning the growth. I mean, it, it kind of showed. I mean, he he – Last year, he improved this. Oh, the, I love O swing. He improved his O swing. He loved it. He improved his swing and strike rates, both of which were career bests. And contact rates were actually compare, uh, were career bests as well. It's just you see the growth in there. I mean, it came a year later, unfortunately, than we all wanted it to. But mm-hmm. 
it was it's all there and then the k rate was i mean it's not spectacular it's still under you know it's still it's just over uh 1k per inning but all in all there's just a lot to like there and where you're getting them there's really no risk and if that forearm strain does turn out to be you know potentially tommy john down the road i believe it was a forearm strain he, he had that yes. last year mm-hmm. so that that always oh, that that can be a precursor to tj which we all know sure but at his price, it's kind of baked in, and he's only 26 years old. The team is actually better than most people realize. I think it's a better team than most of us even honestly remember. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. So I think all in all, I think it's just a solid. I mean, you're getting him at the price of that's like, was that SP4 range? That's like your SP4, SP5. Like, how much better do you want? I mean, he's better than Mitch Keller. I'll tell you that much, right? Right, Mike. <laughs> Dang, going for the throat there. I love me and Mike have this love hate relationship. It's mostly hate, but uh, <laughs> no, no, that's hilarious. Just, we but, just uh, disagree on a lot of players. <laughs> a lot of players makes for an interesting conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the problem is, is it, it's reoccurring. So every podcast with every guest or in general, the yeah. same three or four names come up. So we we've gotten better at that. <laughs> so we're trying to get better about that, but. Paul, who's the next guy that you want to maybe mention here? So next for me right now is a little bit up in the air. And so I think there's going to be a winter discount on Gavin Lux in LA because we don't fully know what they're going to do, right? They're kind of the, the Dodgers, like a f- few other of the big clubs are rumored in on everybody. And so you never really know if they're, if they're going to do it or not. They've been a team that's talked about cutting money. Um, they already have gobs of talent. But he was so good last year that uh, I think he needs to factor in somewhere. I don't know how they can realistically send him back to AAA. And so, again, while there's not that obvious path right now, I think maybe trading an outfielder, putting Bellinger back in the outfield, Muncie over to first, boom, there's, there's Gavin Lux at second base. But I'm just going to take the price right now at $1.57. Um, I'm completely fine paying that. I don't think that uh, that he's really going to skyrocket in price as the uh, as draft season approaches. Even if he trickles up a bit into the 130s, I still think that that would be a fair price for Gavin Lux. Uh, he's kind of got the complete package of, of what he can do. He's not a huge burner or anything, but he can also contribute some speed with big power. And, of course, in a quality lineup like the Dodgers, there's going to be runs and ribbies to go around. Big batting averages throughout his minor league career. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the bet on the 22-year-old Gavin Lux because I know it was only 49 games, but he was so aggressively good in AAA. I don't see what's sending him back there outside of for maybe like 10, 15 games to start the season. I don't see why he would need to stay down there any longer than that. At least I, well, I know one of our co-hosts, George, and myself, we, we believe in Lux as a talent, but I just I'm, I'm trying to have the same confidence as you as far as playing time. I just – it's hard. I mean, obviously, all it takes is one injury, which is very common in that in, on that team. But, man. Well, the Dodgers are always that. tough to trust, too, because they do a lot of different things. They work in a lot of different guys. But, again, as I continue to look at it, I just don't know how you make the case that this guy has to go back to AAA for an extended amount of time. Oh. I'm willing to take on some extra time early, at the, early in the season where he's down in AAA, but – you know, five and a half months of Gavin Lux absolutely works for me. Well, and I don't see, I'm right with you as far as that goes. I don't see why he should be down there for an extended period either. And if you look at second base, it is arguably the shallowest position yes. as well. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately, I mean, the reason why he's at 150 sounds like, or 157 just outside that 150 range, it's, it seems like it might be a little shallower for a guy with no 
sure playing time right away right now. But because of the position scarcity, it actually kind of makes sense, and it's not all that early when you factor that in. So I'm 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 in between. I'm mixed. I'm not out on them, but I'm not as optimistic at the, at the moment. But Mike, did I already have you do a second one? I forgot. No, no I think your no, second's okay. coming up. <laughs> I'm all caught up in Gavin Lux. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so we've talked about this in the past, but uh, it's kind of a really late round flyer for me, and depends kind of on playing time, which we also were just talking about. But uh, I have CJ Crone. Um, I just think he could provide some really good late power. He was overall top five percent in barrel percentage. He was seventh in barrels per plate attempt, um, and he was top 85th percentile on exit velocity, x x-slugging, and he's going around 271 right now. So I just kind of like him. If if he does get consistent playing time, we know before the season, I think if you're looking for power late in the dress, I think he could be a great ad. Is he currently lacking a team? Yeah. He was not in tender, Oh, right? I thought he was uh, – he was non-tendered, yeah. He oh, was non-tendered by the I thought he was still on the Twins. Well, I didn't know honestly, he got non-tendered. I mean, he'll, Sorry, he'll land somewhere, so I'm not. Well, I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily be too worried about it. But yeah, he is currently without a, a squad. Yeah, that might be that might have wow. been be, that might have been better for him, honestly, because at least I mean, again, it's early, but I look at roster resource for my uh, roster resource. Obviously, um, <laughs> I look at it, and I'm and they had them the early depth charts. They had Crone not even a starter for the twins so do, do you look at roster resource through fan graphs i haven't yes. honestly even found it there <laughs> i look at it from roster resource. it's literally on the top of the page top <laughs> bar you gotta go there oh there better. it is yeah i'm looking okay fine i'll click just on it saying. right now just saying it's better just saying boom i just clicked on it it's not there you go they still right. update the old re- the old website i don't yes. know i haven't been to it in uh, months oh uh, i thought they only do it on fan graphs so no, they. Uh, oh, there it goes. Okay, yeah, it's popping up. There's a screen now. Yeah, um, it's uh, now that I know it's there. It'll take up. It'll take up one less tab in my uh, on my iPad and my computer. So Thank there you, you go. I knew it was there. I just honestly never looked for it there because I've always had the tab up for convenience purposes. But good plug. <laughs> should should load faster consistently at Fangraphs. Ooh, see, look at that. That, that was one of the point. things. That, if I ever have, if I ever had one complaint about roster resource, it was loads load times, which. You know they were aware of and everything, but since moving to fan graphs, um, it's been it's been really strong. So and and to your point, Crone wasn't even penciled in for first base. It was Marwin Gonzalez. The emergence of Luisa Rise uh, put him at second base, and then Marwin at first. Of course, Marwin can still bounce around, so they went ahead and non-tendered Crone, who was due like seven seven point seven mil. He'll he'll pick up somewhere though. It's still a perfectly reasonable sleeper pick. It's just that he doesn't currently have the team just yet. You're going to be happy. I've talked to you about him a little bit on Twitter. One of my guys with an ADP of 346.5 in these early drafts is Victor Reyes of your Detroit Tigers. I think there's a lot. But see, people want to talk about speed, and this is he's part of the reason why I'm just like you as far as like not necessarily over the top aiming for it. I mean, the guy has flashed it in the past as far as the minors go. He flashed it a little bit last year. He has legitimate speed tool. I think it, I'm trying to remember this percentile off the top of my head. I'd have to look that up real quick. I probably should have, but it was like over 90th percentile uh, sprint speed. He was yeah. sitting at the top of that lineup too, wasn't he? So he's, yes. that's why, and he's, he's, he's slotted in second behind Jacoby Jones, I believe it is. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, should so be I'm not too familiar with the, with the Tigers. Not one of the teams I like to look at all that much. <laughs> no, I mean, and like this is the kind of speed only or speed mostly guy that I will pay for because there's not a huge tax on him. 
Yeah, and like, he uh, and he's not he's not empty speed. He's batting average with speed, which is really really uh, valuable at the end of drafts. Exactly, a batting average is difficult to find. Um, he ended the season really strong with a three twenty one in August and a three thirty in September October with eight stolen bases in those two months for Victor Reyes. Threw in three homers as well. So even if he's giving you some some uh, you know mediocre pop, just to kind of again make sure it's not a completely empty speed component. Good call out there. Playing time for days. There's no reason that they're not going to play a 25-year-old switch hitting outfielder uh, on the Tigers. And so – He should have the not, green light too. To, you would think he would have the green light to manufacture runs and all that. Right. The runs and ribbies will be light, but everything mm-hmm. else, uh, you know, I think it's a, a solid play with Victor Reyes. He's a great fifth outfield type. Yes. I, and I what I really like about that. him, the reason why a lot of it's like he doesn't walk. He doesn't walk for nothing. He has a walk rate similar to Mondesi. But yeah, what, he's not here for walking. But and, but the thing is, though, is his contact rates. Are, he has an eighty-one point six percent contact rate, at least what he showed last year, and he, that comes with a with a sub ten percent um, swing strike rate. Now the the chase rate's a little concerning, but with an with you know with what's an above average O contact rate, he, it's a seventy-four point five percent O contact rate. And for those who don't know, that's that's just about twelve percent above league average. So contact is real. The speed is ninety-first percentile. So I think you put that together and you have a guy who's going to hit for a solid average. I think there's a good floor there. Babbitt will probably be there for, for him as well to support the floor yeah. as far as batting average. And then again, the spiel, the steals are legitimately 20 to 25, maybe better upside depending on obviously success rate. I agree with that. Oh, I, I, I figured I'd be hard pressed to find you anti a Tigers player. <laughs> there aren't that many worth drafting, but Victor Reyes is definitely one of them. And I've I, I've targeted him. I think I don't know if I missed out on NFBC in my first one, but he's definitely like always on the back of my mind for that late speed, because everyone's all over Arias, and I rather have Reyes. Yeah, I think I, I think I would too, especially for the speed component, um, and with some batting average. Batting average in late in drafts is difficult to find, so I do like him there. Exactly, well, Paul. If you want to give us, I guess, a third and final one, let's do it. Uh, I'll go with Luke Voigt uh, out with the Yankees. And this was a guy I was not like super in on coming into the year, although he was getting, he was getting some hype. And so I just kind of ignored him and I, you know, I didn't really buy in too much and I was, I got lucky and I was, you know, I don't want to say I was proven right. Cause I didn't think he was going to get hurt and only play 118 games, but that kind of limited his output to where he was like solid, but unspectacular um, in terms of the overall production, but there was still a lot to like, and he still absolutely mashes the ball and he comes in pretty inexpensively right now at around pick 194 uh, as a first baseman. Like I said, two IL stints limited him to just 118 games. But if you kind of look at his 2018 and 19 combined, it kind of makes a full season. 671 plate appearances at 278, 383, 516 with 36 homers, 98 ribbies, and 102 runs, which is really nice uh, for Luke Voigt. Top 10% barrel rate at 13%. If he's healthy, I don't see why he's not going to hit 30. Like, you can't give me a good reason why Luke Voigt's not going to crush 30 homers as long as he gets 600 plate appearances. So um, I'm definitely interested in Luke Voigt for next year. He's going to be 29. There's not some up-and-coming prospect. He kind of is who he is. But who he is is, is really good. He strikes out. A prototypical slugger. Strikes out, takes walks but absolutely tanks the ball. And Edwin Encarnacion is gone too, so first base should be wide open for Voight. You're not going to hear many arguments here. Uh, we're a pretty pro-Voight podcast, and I think yes. and I think ultimately 
the issue would only remain if is if they go out and try to sign somebody. But I mean, like you said, the first base should be there. It's just a matter of where he's going to hit. Right now, he's projected to hit ninth. I don't see how somebody with such a high OBP would do that. But when you yeah. look at that lineup, sorry, Mike totally... Talkman, you're not uh, you're not hitting sixth over. Uh, over <laughs> That's why I figured Voit would swap flip flop with him. Maybe Anduhar and Voit move up. Yeah. or Shella Talkman move down. But regardless, I mean, you can hit anywhere in that lineup, and you're gonna produce. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think he will, he won't be dead in the middle of the order, but then we'll see how the health goes with the, uh, with the Yankees. We know how it went this year. And if it, it falls to a similar fate and Voight happens to be one of the ones who's standing upright, then he will be in the middle of the order, but I'm drafting him as somebody who's going to hit five, six. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm not pinning him down for a hundred ribbies, but 30 homers, I think are, are a darn near lock with 600 plate appearances. Yeah, 30 with 80 RBIs and like a 260-ish average. That's realistic. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, and we're, you're getting them right, right around pick 200. Can't really – it's really hard to argue with that, but you'll find people. Mike, you want to finish up with your third sleeper as well? Yeah, uh, so my last sleeper is Max Freed. I talk Love about it. him way too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> he's my J.D. Davis. Yeah, so um, – yeah, I just think he's going to provide a lot of value. Right now, he's going at 146. Um, he, well, he finished with a four-year A. His underlying numbers show better. He got a little unlucky. Um, I think he has great breaking pitches. His curveball is awesome and actually got better throughout the season. And he had a lot. I know we were just talking about Flaherty and not to look at second halves, but <laughs> he actually had a really good second half. Um, he put up a 3.63 ERA with a 2.82 XFIP. And I just think, I mean, I know I keep throwing it out there, but I kind of like him over his teammate Soroka. I think he provides higher K potential and For sure. he's got the stuff to, you know, take a step further and provide more value. At the cost, I think that that's completely fair because Soroka's around pick 100 and Freed right in that 140 to 150 range. The development on the slider last year was huge and really made him a strikeout force. You mentioned that. You know, he probably gave a few too many hits with a 336 BABIP. He's always kind of held a little bit of a high BABIP, although he's only had small samples before this year. But a 336 this year, if he cuts into that, becomes a little less hittable and brings the hit rate down to like eight and a half um, and shaves a hit off of that. I really think we could see somebody in the really like a 340, 120, you know, mid 120s whip type of guy with a boatload of strikeouts. I am totally here on Max Freed. I'm with you 100%. And speaking of guys that we talk about too much, I'm gonna we're gonna finish up the sleeper talk here with a guy that I literally can met, talk about every day. I think I've talked about him on every podcast. I'm going on Bubba's podcast. I'm gonna be talking about him tomorrow. I think. So I just can't get enough of him. It's it's JD Davis, man. I am all about him. I I I have him on early teams this year already. I mean, he's a target of mine in every draft. I did a deep dive article on him early in the offseason, which I'm honestly going to put out again soon just to get it circulating as you know people come back to baseball. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot to like about him. I mean, the growth for his righties was was remark was uh, noticeable. I have it here. Uh, the, the triple slash of 305, 366, and 550 with a WRC plus of 134 versus righties last year was by far his best season against righties because he was otherwise, I think, a low 200s hitter against them, although limited opportunity. And – there was a if you if you actually look at some of his uh, batting stance, you saw there was a launch angle change. So I dug into some video and I saw there was a slight batting stance change. And when there's production that comes with tangible change, I literally cannot say I love tangible change enough. But I love tangible change. And there was um the fact that there was a t- uh, change in batting stance ever so slightly 
little bit uh, the bat was up off his shoulder a little more. There was some pre pre pitch movement in the bat as well compared in 2018 compared to 2019 when he kept the bat kind of low to his shoulder, just kind of stayed still a little a little lower in his stance. Nothing too much. I'm not a scout, just what what, what the amateur eye can see. So imagine what other people can actually see. And it's just like with that st- stance and that swing change came, you know, the production. Not to mention he's good. He hits all. He hits to all sides of the field pretty well. And not to mention when you go to a Statcast page, it is blood red. It is Statcast wet dream. Yeah, absolutely. That <laughs> cast wet. I wet love dream. that. I the, oh, <laughs> yes, I mean, there's um, there's just so much to like about him, and the price, it's just not moving. It's. I mean, I think a lot of people are worried about playing time, and I understand yeah. the Marisnik signing or trade kind of makes people nervous, but I think that would that affect, doesn't do anything. I think it affects Nimmo no. more than anything. Yeah, he's a bench bat. Yeah, he's a so, Nemo platoon. That doesn't yes. do anything for JD Davis. I'm hoping. I mean, and JD, and JD Davis and defense is one thing that um, players can improve on. You know. Yeah, hard so, work alone can improve defense. You know, I'm, so I think he comes in. I take him for that third base and I'll, the multi-positional eligibility right now. Plug him into your lineup. I think it's legitimate. Like, take a little juice off that ball. I still think there's 25 to 28 home run pop, maybe even 30 home run pop in that bat without the juice ball. And just solid batting average and solid numbers. Another guy that I expect, like, kind of similar to Voight to just hit in the middle of the, yep. like that 5 6 spot. So you're looking at like another 25 ish home runs, 80 ish RBIs, but I think it's a little better batting average, like 270 ish. You know what I mean? I would agree with that. And, you know, dude absolutely tanks the ball, and that's what you want first and foremost. So JD Davis is a good call out for sure. And that does that's nine players I, I mean, is there anybody you just want to talk about talk about paul before we get out of here because no i think i think it? i think we've covered it I, yeah. I like this group of players here i think this is a good group to go out and get unless you're in a draft with us hands off but uh <laughs> yeah these are some interesting players for sure yeah so with that said uh just a quick reminder you can find paul on twitter at spore it's real simple at s-p-o-r-e-r you can find myself mike this mike at Mike underscore Curlin, and you can find the other Mike at SP Streamer. Paul, we really couldn't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Um, it really yes, truly means you. a lot. Guys, I really appreciate you all having me on. It was uh, it was great chatting with you. I look forward to doing it in the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hold you to it. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Sounds good. On that, on that note um, really, guys, we appreciate everyone listening, and we'll talk to you soon.